Hello, and welcome to the AgTech So What podcast. Emerging technologies are rapidly changing the global agricultural industry, and we believe that this revolution is only getting started. But there's still too much hype out there and too big of a disconnect between ag and ag tech. So on this show, we try to bridge that gap. In each episode, we bring you the story of a different innovator in agriculture and try to find the place where ag and tech meet. I'm your host, Sarah Nolette. Welcome back to the Ag Tech So What podcast. Uh, just a quick bit of housekeeping here. I know that some of you mentioned this and, and really appreciate the feedback that the volume, especially for my audio in a few of the episodes this season, has been really variable. Uh, we've tried to fix that, and so hopefully that's sorted out, um, but please do keep the feedback coming. This week's guest is Jennifer Medway. She is currently the Manager for Research and Innovation at AgriFutures Australia, where she looks after research into emerging industries as well as ag tech. Uh, but Jen has a really uh, varied career, uh, including being a farmer herself with her husband and her family, but also working as a consultant and as a policy officer um, and really across the agriculture industry. I really like this episode because we got to touch on Jen's uh, perspective and experience as a farmer herself, thinking about what technology to buy. And we talked through her buying decisions, really how they went about choosing what technology to buy and how that process differs or is similar in agriculture to in, in other industries or just for regular consumers. We also talk about uh, technology during the drought and we touch on emerging industries. Um, so things like you know tea tree oil and, and ginger, really what is the future of agricultural look like from an emerging industries perspective. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Good afternoon, Jen Medway. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. No worries. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So I'd love to hear um, a little bit about your background. I um, had a ton of fun actually looking you up on LinkedIn because you've done a bunch of things that I didn't know you had done. So I'm really excited to hear about them. But why don't we kick off with you telling me a bit about your story? Yeah, no worries. Um, so I am a fifth generation farmer from Gunning, New South Wales. Um, and basically my husband and I run um, a large operation here as well as with my parents. Um, we have about 17,000 sheep, uh, mostly wool, but also some crossbred uh, first class lambs uh, that we turn off um, about three months. So basically sheep, sheep and sheep. Uh, we don't have cattle, but um, yeah, we, I've really always grown up as a farm girl, um, as one of three sisters, uh, three girls, sorry. So, uh, yeah, very much, um, farming's in my veins, I guess you'd say, which I guess that led me to an ag economics degree at Sydney Uni, um, which was very interesting. And, um, outside of that, I came, went to government actually. Uh, so I did about oh, 10 years, a bit less than 10 years, um, in the Department of Agriculture in Canberra. So uh, I really did cut my teeth in the sort of, I guess, government space, but always had that very much the lens of farming. Um, and then since then, I've worked for farming systems groups. I have, um, and more recently, I manage research and innovation um, at AgriFutures Australia, which is one of 15 RDCs looking after uh, research and innovation for the sector. Fantastic. So um, what's it like working with your parents? I think it's, it's really interesting to me because it's so normal in farming to have like multi-generational businesses and people working together. I personally can't imagine working with my parents. <laughs> so, so I'm curious <laughs> what that's like. Well, the good news is my parents are not people that listen to podcasts. So I can be 
honest on this one. Uh, look, it does. It definitely has its challenges, um, but there are also some really interesting um, and you know exciting things to work through. I guess just not having to go through you know the initiation phase of working with people and all that kind of stuff. Um, has been meant that we can really, I guess, delve into some opportunities and have that backup, I guess, that, and knowing that if something goes wrong, we've kind of got each other's back. And I mean that in a, you know, financial sense, but also um, in terms of, you know, I guess the way we, that we manage our businesses. So I do like to say that our businesses are separate in some way. So um, we do everything together. We share at the same time. We help each other with drenching and all that kind of stuff. But when it actually comes to the bank balance at the end of the day, we do have two different businesses. So from that perspective, I guess it is um, collaborative to an extent and we don't have some of those financial pressures that other families do have. Um, but being sort of like right next door to each other um, and, you know, as I said, you know, share machinery and, and other things, um, it certainly does, I think, actually help in our case. I'm actually really fortunate that my husband um, is very laid back and works very, very well with my parents. So from that perspective, um, from, you know, I guess from that working really closely with people that um, you also are related to, uh, that that's actually hasn't been as big a challenge. But yes, yeah, so I've probably been doing that arrangement for the last uh, 15 or so years. So, so far, fingers crossed, it's all working well. That's awesome. And does your husband come from a farming background as well? He absolutely did, yes. So um, he uh, worked with, well, sort of worked with his parents, actually, um, in terms of they sort of had, like handed the property over. Um, it's going to sound bad. We then sold that property and brought a whole heap of uh, country around us where we are now. Um, so from our perspective, um, we've really been able to, I guess, have from both sides of it, we were born into this sort of farming community slash kind of sense so um, from our perspective it's kind of been in the blood but you know even outside of that it's something we're really passionate about it's not a chore, a chore. it's not a, a job that you know um, we sort of think oh god we're stuck with it um, um, before kids and things that would have been nice to have explored and, and got out a little bit more I guess but um, you know it's hard to look back at it at the same time we've been for relatively young people I think we've done pretty well actually in terms of growing um, our business quite substantially and, and I feel that that's really owing to the part that we have our families but our backgrounds and um, and obviously surrounding ourselves with good people and um, in terms of business and, and finance as well. Has the industry changed a lot? You mentioned growing the business and um, you know some different transactions you've done. How has the industry changed since like from when you were little and your parents were farming and the last 15 years that, that you've been doing it? Like what are some of the big things that have changed or, or maybe you know not a lot has changed? No, a lot has changed. Um, the big, the most obvious one for us, um, particularly in that growth phase, um, has we're in the golden triangle of sort of sheep production, and we're only less well about two hours from Sydney. So that has meant that um, for us to expand has actually been, and I mean it's across the board. So um, it's not just us, obviously, um, but in terms of um, being able to afford land and and just you know in terms of working through the numbers, um, you know it's a really big investment and something that can be quite scary for relatively young people. I'm still putting myself in a young person category. Um, and from that perspective, we've had a couple of different business models um, to achieve that. So we've kind of used leasing as a stepping block to, um, you know, buying properties and whatever else. So from our perspective, it's been, um, I guess I'm being fortunate with my economics background. Um, I'm quite, you know, business savvy, I guess. And I'm, I'm not putting other people down in any way, shape or form. It's just a skill set that I enjoy and, and have. And I just know across the industry, um, business acumen um, is something, you know, managing multi-million dollar industries and, um, and people you know, don't always have a really good handle on their gross margins and things. And I see that changing. I see that 
um, you know, people are kind of starting, I think, to the culture of really treating farm businesses as a business rather than just the family situation and, and that's what you do. Um, and I guess the other thing that um, I see has, has, has really changed is the technology and the willingness to adopt technology and, and new practice. We happen to surround ourselves through farming systems groups, um, benchmarking groups, whatever it might be, to really look at opportunities to make our business better. Um, I think those opportunities that we're taking on are slightly different and I think the necessity to do things differently rather than just better is, is kind of a constant in our world um, and maybe that's just for our business but certainly um, I feel like we've kind of nailed the low-hanging fruit and for us it's a case of how do we I guess continue to get those not just one percenters but look for those five and ten percenters to really start to uh, to make an impact on our business. What's an example of maybe something that you've done differently and um, equally happy for it to be something that worked or something that didn't work, but an example of, of maybe, and, and through the Farming Systems Group or um, any of the other groups, benchmarking or otherwise, um, that you felt like it was a bit of a risk or something that maybe not everyone would have um, had a go with, but, but that you guys did? Yeah, so one of the things that we got right into was looking at for uh, different ways to look at technology and, and for what purpose I guess you'd say so we've had um, you know some workers sort of have issues and, and a couple of other things that have sort of really impacted our business and I guess from a production perspective we really wanted to accelerate uh, industry or our growth and um, and not do it in such an incremental way uh, we just wanted to make those gains slightly quicker because but um, so from that perspective we started to look across well is it workplace health and safety we're doing things for is it to increase production is it to uh, drive other gains in the business um, so we really started to look at what technology we could adopt or implement into our system to help make those larger changes. Um, it was really fortunate we were working, we partnered with MLA through their producer program to introduce landing on some to work down the production kind of trait. Um, we recognised that um, drought and, and continual sort of climate vari variability was something that was going to quite was still going to no matter what we're going to drive a lot of change in our business. So for us to better prepare for that, we really wanted to have a better handle on increasing our genetics so, and also having a really solid understanding of our genetics so that we could then really be quite clear on what are our top producing sheep, what are our low producing sheep. So in times, um, you know, we knew sort of where we needed to put our focus on um, and where we really needed to drive gains in our business. Um, and we set some really clear goals, I guess, for that. And we're sort of just embarking on um, sort of achieving those so it's still going but within that to, to achieve that we actually ended up going down the EID path um, which is an interesting um, approach because it's becoming quite common practice in, in some areas but for us we've put together a really interesting program and invested quite heavily in terms of flock profiling um, in terms of getting a lot of um, you know just a lot of um, objective information to make better decisions on so we invested in sheep handlers in and everything you could possibly do to read tags. We've got consultants in to help us pull together programs. Um, we just came off shearing. We have six weeks of, of shearing and we just um, we ended up putting about 700 hoggett ewes. Uh, we did all the fleece testing and, um, and did a lot of management of, of those. And I don't think it's necessarily new technology that we were picking up. Obviously, EID has been around for a very long time. But in terms of it, how we actually build it into our business was quite new for us and, and to be really committed to that. And uh, just the machinery and whatever, yeah, costs us a fair bit of money in terms of, uh, so it's a fairly large commitment. But 
I guess from that perspective, that was one way that we could see that we could accelerate just a lot of gains and that really is across the business. So we weren't feeding sheep that weren't productive. We were really identifying the genetics that were really going to help drive our business and, and certainly in terms of better understanding and, and improving our management practices um, in alignment with that was really important for us. Tell me about when you decided to go down that path. Like, I, I, It's really interesting to me that you were thinking about like areas across the business that technology could apply. And, and that's really what we coach startups to do. You know, Is it a time savings? Is it labor savings? Is it um, on the financial side? Is it production gains? Is it like, you know, whatever else benefits it might be. I'm curious um, how you decided on like going down this path and whether the kind of way it's expanded to different handlers and consultants and technology is what you expected. Like, did you kind of ex- set out a project plan and execute on it? Or was it a bit like jump in and then things changed and you got way bigger, way smaller than you thought? Like, tell me about the kind of initial decision um, and then how it's panned out versus what you expected. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think for me, it was like a lot of um, competing kind of situations all coming together at the one time. So, um, and there were little one, like little funny things actually, like an application round being open forced us to think it through. Or, um, I, admittedly, I am in this world a lot in innovation. I started to think, where can, how can we innovate? And to be honest, the benchmarking group that we're involved in have a lot of large players and actually. Um, they can drive a lot of gains because of the size of, there's a lot of corporate um, ag businesses in the group that we're a part of and they can drive a lot of gains through efficiencies in terms of what they're doing and they can trial things and, you know, it won't make the biggest difference if something goes wrong in their business. And for us, it was like, well, it does make a big difference because, you know, a $40,000 investment for us is kind of, you know, could make or break that year, I guess you'd say, um, in one technology. So for us, I guess, um, there were just a number of factors coming together and my husband um, was a little bit, he probably wasn't early on quite on the same uh, trajectory I was in terms of this being, you know, something that 150% needed to happen within our business. And I, re- I say that because at the end of the day, I go off to work in an office and, and can get away from it. And he's literally dealing with the everyday nuts and bolts of running the properties and whatever it might be. So from him, it was like a bit of a, oh God, more things to worry about. Um, but as we sort of started to see the opportunities and started to speak to people about their, the way that they had either used that technology or the things that were making a difference to their business, he kind of really got excited about um, what that could offer. So I guess from our perspective, we then just went off and spoke to people. Um, and of course, as I said, the MLA producer-led program um, was sort of around at the time. I, I've often been asked, would you have done the project anyway and I think the answer is yes we were quite committed to the trajectory or the the, the approach that we sort of gone down but from our perspective it just really meant that it was accelerated we did it all well Um, we did get the help in at the right time so we didn't just bumble our way make errors and then bring it back to um, you know the, the same point where we started at so from our perspective I guess um, we did think quite well about the project I did set it out quite um, comprehensively I guess so it has expanded and expanded in the more we got into it the more you're like oh well we better get that technology because that will also help the project and then something else pops up and oh yeah we better do that as well and oh well, why don't you do flock profiling yep we'll do flock profiling so I don't think I had a, a very solid a, a really good um, handle I guess early on in terms of where the where the absolute uh, start and end point could be to then really assess because everything just seems like a add-on and add-on and a good idea and a good idea but at some point 
at what point have you got enough information to really make that decision you were trying to make and the rest of it is just a nice to have. Um, so from that perspective, we're probably hitting the, the, the peak at this point. Um, I'm sort of viewing it as a, okay, let's consolidate where we're at and then pick, like, maybe potentially build on post once we get some more data in and, and really figure out how we can start to make some decisions. It has been slightly timing, uh, good timing in that perspective because we are literally have been feeding sheep uh, since January and I know other people have been way worse than us so I, I take that with the absolute respect to those people um, but it's really crazily dry here at the moment um, and I guess from that perspective it's meant that um, we really have had to be confronted by some of the questions now I mean we're already a couple of hundred thousand dollars into this dry period um, in terms of feeding sheep and things so we're already starting about to really start to think through particularly around those genetics right where are our worst performing sheep how can we start to do that um, and really manage that system a little bit better based on the information? We're probably about six months too early with the data um, in terms of we just don't have wide enough yet to really make some of those critical decisions. But the confidence it has given us to know that what we what, what information we will get to make that better decision is um, is quite yeah, I'm excited by that going forward. So when we are going to have dry times going forward. We're not naive enough to know that. And so I feel like this project and, and what we've done and the technology that we're implementing will put us in better stead for that. So from that perspective, it's given us a lot of confidence, um, just given the number of sheep we're now managing and, and in terms of the partnerships that we're delivering, it's, it's given us a lot of confidence to continue with that. It's super interesting to me what you said actually early on there about how you like one of the first steps you took was asking around. And that's something that I think is true in like consumers like outside of farming. If I'm going to buy a new tablet or whatever, I might ask some friends and colleagues what they're using. But I, I feel like it's even more prevalent in agriculture. Like you want to kind of see that someone else has had a go, especially for technologies that exist as opposed to new stuff. Um, but you want to, you want to know what other people have tried and whether it's worked and talk to your, you know, the folks in your benchmarking group or kind of get that firsthand perspective. Um, do you feel like that's like how much of what you ended up implementing was things that other people suggested versus things you found not through word of mouth. So it's interesting in farming. So we're not, well, in our industry anyway, we're not directly competing. Um, so through the farming systems groups and whatever, we've found some really key people, I guess, um, in our friendship group and ex industry experts and whatever else that have been really generous with their knowledge. What we did find with this particular technology, given that it isn't actually that, innovative at the moment actually because the technology has been around for a while we were actually surprised by how many people were necessarily going down this path so it was interesting um, tracking people down I guess and I think to an extent some people are doing it um, as we said sort of a, a, you know what we would have done a bit piecemeal and a bit you know figuring some of this stuff out as you go whereas we had the luxury I guess of um, doing it all at once so from that perspective I think um, that was really quite critical to how far we've come through the program but certainly, um, you know, I think farmers, if you find the right people, they are very generous with their knowledge. And I think that the key to not duplicate and not make other people's mistakes is, is something that's really interesting. At the moment, my husband and I are looking at, um, with, the dry, uh, with the dry times, um, going down more of a feedlot um, scenario. So this is probably taking it away from the technology space, but looking at the feedlot scenario, um, and we've got some a couple of thousand crossbred lambs that we've got to sort of keep, keep alive and keep, you know, really, I guess, um, building weight and all that kind of stuff. 
And what we've found is that people have been, you know, it's, it's quite a tricky business actually in terms of the feed and, uh, yeah, things can go pear-shaped quite quickly. Um, and we've been quite astounded by, um, and again, in that case, we've been asking a lot of questions and speaking to good friends who we know have, have been in that space. Um, and everyone's been quite um, quite open, actually. It's not always the case. There's certainly, you know, farmers and people, and I think society in general, there's those people that like to keep things to themselves and keep those lessons learnt and, and opportunities gained um, to themselves. But overall, we've actually, if you go in with an open mind and, you know, and be quite respectful about what you're asking and, you know, and the information you get, I, I actually, we found it quite interesting and, and people are being quite open. And from that perspective, we've just learnt so much and it's been so critical um, in terms of sort of where we've got to with project and obviously if we go ahead with this sort of feedlot type arrangement, um, you know, I think from those perspectives, um, you know, it's been really interesting and I guess from our perspective, we're saying, well, now we've learnt some stuff, we've made mistakes and we've done things, um, you know, a bit differently or whatever it might be and, and again, we, we're more than happy to share those learnings as well. So I think what comes around goes around um, is how we're approaching it but um, certainly it's been quite critical to us, I guess, the success we've had to date in, the, in those projects. So been good. I imagine that that works the other way too, where if someone like got burned by a provider or by a practice or someone that like they, their bad reputation is going to get shared as well, that it's going to be a bit of a, um, you know, we, we didn't have a good experience with this person or this company and like kind of watch out do, do those, um, stories, I was gonna say rumors, but they're true. Do those stories get around um, <laughs> as well? Um, yeah, look, I think most of the conversations focus on production practices. So this worked, this didn't, add this in, don't add that in, um, use that nutrient, don't use that nutrient um, kind of scenario. There's certainly, um, I'm not going to lie, in agriculture, it's a, it's a pretty small industry really. Um, and particularly when you get down to a local level, everyone knows everybody and knows everything about everybody, which is an interesting concept for city people, I think. But basically, um, I think, yeah. Look, there is a lot of stories around providers um, and, you know, experiences that you've had, good, bad or indifferent. Um, people in the country do rely on that word of mouth as a really strong endorsement for certain products or for businesses or service providers, whatever it might be. Um, and it doesn't take very much, I agree, it doesn't take very much for those uh, relationships to be soured if, um, you know, if, if a problem exists or if, um, you know, if someone's had a bad experience. And I think pretty well are pretty pragmatic if it's, um, a personal issue and, you know, they just don't get on or whatever has happened, there's been an issue and it's probably from both sides. I think we're pretty good on picking that up. Where there's a genuine issue or a genuine challenge, yeah, that does that does get around pretty quickly. So um, whether or not you choose to, you know, still try it yourself, I think it's horses for courses and depending on the products and the level of risk, I think is um, where people sort of, how they play that. But um, yeah, I, I certainly think, particularly in the positive sort of sense, you know, certain providers or products, um, if someone talks about it, talks it up, then that's a fairly good endorsement. And generally country people are pretty happy to accept someone's word on something. So, yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask, you mentioned the technology that you guys did implement was pretty much existing technology. So like EIDs and, and things that have been around for a long time. Have you had much interaction with, uh, kind of the ag tech startup scene and, and did you look at any of those companies, uh, to kind of build out some of those production games you were hoping to get? Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. So um, I would classify myself as Invertacom as being a little bit in that world, given um, my work with an RDC, um, where we actually do have a fair bit of interaction with the ag tech community. Um, I would actually be it's interesting that, no, um, we didn't initially in the terms of the EID stuff. Um, we weren't, it's the technology, it's the same 
Oh, sorry, I'm going around in circles, but essentially what it's funny with agriculture in that we're, the model that we use to implement products and whatever it might be is that you get given an end result and that you purchase that end result, whatever it looks like, and then you use that. Um, so in our case, it was um, through our farming systems group, well, it's actually called Merino Link. Um, they had a deal on for EID, so we just bought the product and put in our ear tap with the sheep's ears and away we went. We also worked quite closely with Clipex on all their technology to make the whole process and the infrastructure around our program work. Um, so it's interesting now that I am in that world that, yeah, we basically just waited for an opportunity that, you know, a product to, that suited us and we used it. What's really interesting is that um, through some other work, I actually, in other, there is a, a sort of a tag kind of a company um, that approached us independently through um, some work I did in Melbourne um, and they came and I was talking about our farm and what we were trying to do and, and they actually, we did have a conversation um, with them um, about potential, it wasn't tags, it was like a tracking system, so it was like a GPS tracking process. So yeah, it was interesting that even though I'm in that world, I actually didn't think at that time to approach and I didn't really have access to um, the companies that you would argue that, you know, there's a fair few uh, startups in the EID sort of space. Um, we literally went down the traditional, um, you know, purchase and supply path, um, which, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that until you'd asked the question, to be honest. But we have had uh, interaction with ag tech. Yeah, right. And it's, I think it's interesting and good that you've highlighted that you do have a, I would say more than a foot in this world. Like you, I mean, we've done work together in the ag tech space and you're very much part of the kind of ag tech community in, in, um, to the extent that that even is a thing, um, which I think it is, you know, in, in Sydney and Melbourne and all over Australia. So I would say you are super familiar with how this space works and AgriFutures has been active. Um, but you also wear the farmer hat. And so I think like you're, such an interesting person to talk to because you do experience this world through those two lenses, like as a investor in this space and as a funder of research and as a um, person advancing the ecosystem, but also as a farmer who is a user of these technologies. Does that ever feel like, um, like, does that feel like an advantage to you that you have both sides or is it kind of confusing because you're like pushing it forward on one side, but maybe not confident in it on the other? Like what's the kind of interplay of those two roles? Yeah, look, I actually think of them one of my biggest assets. And if you ask my MD, I'm often like, no, that crap, that won't work in the real world. Um, my personality, as you can probably tell, and Sarah, I know you well, is not to take a back seat. So it actually makes me super confident, um, it, particularly in, in engaging with industry. You've got that background. I know that you're, you're one of them. Um, and I definitely think when it comes to that practical element, is so critical because you can often get... Um, you know, I guess sidetracked by the hype around things, but the practical realities of farming and how that works and being so entrenched in agriculture um, is quite, you know, I think a unique perspective that I do have. I feel like this is a job interview, so apologies for that. <laughs> um, but my world is very random. So yeah, like literally drenching sheep one day and then in a boardroom in a capital city around the country, another to interacting with ag tech. Um, and again, you know, it's quite... I think you need to have those experiences, um, but I love it. And I think from that perspective, I'm hoping, um, you know, that's a real asset I can, you know, bring particularly in my world, which is very much in the cross-sectoral R&D space where there is a lot of issues. I'm not just in one particular issue. It's actually working across a really broad range, which is interesting because that's the stuff I deal with almost on a day-to-day -day basis um, on the farm. So from that perspective, it's definitely an asset. Um, and I bring a lot of that to my decision-making, rightly or wrongly. Um, 
obviously it's all very above board and all that kind of stuff. But but in terms of actually working through projects and um, doing that analysis and thinking through opportunities, it's definitely the two or actually there's a couple of different lenses, but particularly those two are really important, I think, to um, sort of some of the projects and the ideas and things that have kind of come out um, particularly working with in the R&D space. Um, previously in government, it was a bit trickier. Um, there's you know, a very long chain of command. and um, But, you know, even in that perspective, um, you know, I think it's really held me in good stead. You're hired. Yeah, thank you. There we go. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, do you get it on the other side as well? Like because um, other farmers in, in Merino Link or otherwise know that you have a lens into the kind of tech innovation research world. Are you therefore a more like credible source or do you get questions from the ag side about the ag tech side as well? Yeah, that's interesting. I get surprised how little the two worlds know about each other. And I, I say that with the greatest respect because obviously they're, you know, one working for the other and vice versa. I definitely get a lot, um, particularly in the R&D side, um, but how things operate, who's who in the zoo, um, what the political sensitivities are and how things are rolling through. Um, I, I do get a lot of questions and commentary, I, I, all usually positive um, and inquisitive, I guess. Um, so I think from that perspective, it does definitely go both ways. And I think um, particularly, um, I should comment, I'm on the board of the Merino Link. And um, I do think that there is a lot of a lot you can bring because it's a quite a different world. It's, it's not that service, I call it service, uh, sector to agriculture because any any there's a, there's a really large service sector like government, um, agribusiness, R and D corps, uh, industry orgs even to an extent. Um, you know it's a it's a big world um, and it's quite complex and I think that's a bit of a skill that um, I do work across that in my role. My role is actually to work across all those systems. So from my perspective, it's been, um, yeah, it's, that's probably the biggest thing I love is actually making those connections between the two um, because it's obvious, it's just not a, a place or a, well, an experience, I guess, that everybody has. So I guess, and that's not through design, that was literally falling into certain roles and, and I guess keeping, um, being really clear though around that farming side and, and that's where my sort of passion is and I guess the the vision is to you know help make an impact and a change and um, you know fingers crossed I'll eventually do that but um, I think at this point um, you, it's the one percentage you do see that in little bits and pieces of making those connections of issues people um, you know opportunities whatever that might be it's those connections I think that are really critical for ag because you know essentially we do produce goods but at the end of the day it's such a big network and a, you know the people within ag are just as important as the production. That's definitely been my experience. I sort of tell people and that I got into ag for the environmental aspect and um, saw the potential of technology, but I really loved it more than I ever thought possible because of the people. And, and I think that, yeah, that just resonates with me so much. There's some fantastic people working in agriculture and um, that diversity of perspectives uh, in the production sector and the service sector and different farming systems um, is just really fascinating. So I'm, I'm curious for you why, um, like tell me about joining AgriFutures because um, I imagine you had other other options and um, it's, you know, a different RDC in some sense because of the emerging industries perspective. So was it emerging industries that, that drew you to this role or the um, kind of cross-sector nature or um, yeah, any, anything else? Why were you, why, why AgriFutures? So that's a really interesting one, and it's not as good a story as I think you were hoping for. So basically, um, there was a there was a gap um, in some people. They needed some support um, to roll out the people program. So um, the the people and leadership programs 
um, which has got some fantastic initiatives, um, most well known probably is, for instance, the Rural Women's Award um, and the Horizon Scholarships, but they do a, a myriad of other things as well, which is fantastic for leadership in agriculture. Um, I guess the bigger question for me is why have I stayed? Um, and that's because I've really found a niche in the National Rural Issues Program. Um, I am a, what's the word? It's something along the lines of uh, expert in nothing, master of everything. Oh no, it's something basically saying that work, I work across a million different issues. Um, and I think that's been really attractive to me. So I came from a policy background um, and I guess through the program that I'm working in, now, um, it really is that ability to work across and collaborate and make those connections um, on particular issues has been really, um, really insightful and, and I guess for me, quite surprisingly, so interesting to me. So, um, you know, it, a lot of it is building relationships with people, but, you know, I get to work on things like um, immigration, tax, water, uh, we've got the $100 billion project, community trust, um, freight and logistics, uh, carbon, trade, everything you could possibly imagine falls into the program that I manage under the, um, it's called an arena called National Challenges and Opportunities. And I guess for me, it's really um, uh, given me a breadth of opportunity, I guess, within that policy space to really, I guess, drive some real discussion. And um, in agriculture, everyone, you know, just, it's quite an emo, everything's emotive. Everyone's just got a response because it's an emotion versus actually having that underpinning information to drive better policy and regulatory decisions. So for me, um, I guess that ability to help drive some of those discussions by just providing the basic um, and really solid foundation of information has been a, a really exciting thing for me and something that kind of really naturally fits within my skill set. And obviously having that farming background, the government and the R&D kind of connection has been um, something that I've been able to leverage, I guess, to really I guess, expand that role. And um, the ability, I work really closely with the National Farmers Federation, um, with the Department of Ag and, of course, all the other RDCs um, to really drive some interesting projects and quite some of them are quite large, some of them are quite small. Um, but, you know, as a whole, I think that, you know, there's a really solid um, information base or research base uh, to make some really solid decisions in agriculture by, you know, whoever it might be. So, from that perspective, yeah, the question is actually, yeah, why did I stay? And I guess that yeah, has nailed it. I love my job. so. <laughs> um, I love that. And I'm also a person who wears many hats. And so I love like all the different um, opportunities you're exploring and areas you're learning about. I imagine that like every day you get to learn a new thing or deep dive on a new issue. And that's really fun. What, um, what advice would you have for someone who like might be listening and thinks that that sounds like an amazing job and that I want to do something like Jen? What, um, like, what, what, sort of, what sort of been key to your success or what advice would you have for someone who wants to um, kind of be involved in a similar role? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I've actually kind of thought about how the hell did I get here, I guess. Um, and to an extent, I think the advice is um, follow your nose um, in terms of, uh, you know, one opportunity sort of leads to another. And, and some advice I got given recently was um, the next role isn't necessarily the one that will get you there, but it may, it'll just give you a new set of skill sets. And I guess from from my perspective, um, the benefit of, of my background has been that because I've had such a varied background and different experiences and has allowed me to really get some really interesting skill sets, um, I guess from that perspective, it's, it's, it's been really valuable to not necessarily pick one path and stick with it. It's been a bit of a, you know, to and fro, because obviously I've done some, um, in between times I've done some consulting and some farming and, uh, you know, so there's been some, you know, the combination of those is kind of, for some reason, really nailed this job. But <laughs> I don't know how that's happened. I don't think it's by design. Um, it just 
you know, from facilitating to, um, you know, bringing projects together to doing the analysis to um, identifying research questions. And, and I guess the biggest thing is that collaboration piece about, you know, learning to work with others and understanding their needs and, and being able to address and, and to solve those, I guess, has been really critical for me. So um, I don't know if it's a particular piece of advice, um, but certainly I guess that ability just to grab any experience as you can and, and develop as much as you can out of it you just don't realize what you're going to bring to that next opportunity. Well, I appreciate the honesty. It's always easy to package up things in hindsight and make it look really um, like it was structured and a linear path to where you got to, but um, often it's it's not. And it is a kind of culmination of those experiences. You mentioned that you cover emerging industries. What's an example of something that you're really excited about in terms of emerging industries? I imagine people don't know as much about, um, you know, things like ginger or tea trail oil or some of the industries you cover. What's um, either a, a commodity or a technology or a project or, or something that you're excited about in the emerging industry space? Yeah, so um, within AgriFutures, we've actually got a really unique mandate. So if you look at the other RDCs, like your Meat and Livestock Australia, Australian Wool Innovation, even Fisheries Research and Development Corporation, they're all obviously got very specific industries. And, and within that, there's a level of complexity. They've all got different types of things that they're dealing with. And, and obviously, um, and in some cases, slightly different industries within the sort of core group of industries, if that makes sense. Um, that's badly explained. Grains will have barley and wheat and all those different sort of subsectors of the same industry. For AgriFutures, it's actually a really interesting place to work because, um, and we're not a catch-all in any way, shape or form, but what we do do is we have a really, um, I'm calling it business development, new industries. We all fall into the same category of really driving sort of new and small, I guess, to really, I guess, grow to mature and big. Um, so from our perspective, we've, um, over the last sort of four or five years, I guess, but more recently since we've uh, changed from the Rural Industries Research and Development Corporation to AgriFutures Australia, we've had a really big change in terms of our location, moving from Canberra to Wagga, um, basically new staff because of that change and everything. So from our perspective, we've had the, I guess, really fortunate opportunity to really refocus the business and start to really drive, I guess, some change in terms of the focus of the organisation. And to be honest, we've taken a very much commercial focus. So for new and emerging industries, um, and Duncan Farquhar is his name, um, manages that area. Um, he's in the business development portfolio of our organisation. Um, we really look at, um, I guess, it's a building um, industries for we, five, industri uh, five industries to $10 million over five years. Um, that's pretty much the goal of that program. So essentially, um, we're looking to partner with uh, new and emerging industries. And, and industries is a, uh, back in the day, it was specifically industries. Um, we've taken a slightly more commercial pathway that, you know, it can be, um, you know, businesses that will build an industry. Um, so there's a little bit more private, I guess, um, partnerships than we've had in the past. But essentially, within that, it's given us a lot of scope to work with some really interesting new things. So camel milk. Who knew? Um, the new almond milk, I guess I'm going to call it. Uh, so camel milk. Um, Have you tried it? Goats. Um, no, I haven't. I need to get out more. <laughs> it's really funny. Sorry to interrupt you. I was at a um, no, go, go. Um, ag tech pitch event in, in um, 
I won't say where recently. And there was a camel milk company and, um, the guy from the company came up to me after I I gave a bit of a talk about, you know, ag tech and why it's exciting what's happening. And he came up to me and said, um, you know, good talk, but you need to be much more innovative. Like all the examples you gave, you're really not pushing the envelope. Um, and so like really (laughs) think further out there. And I just like, was like, yep. That would be the camel milk guy telling me that I'm I'm not as far out there <laughs> as he is. So I really appreciate that. That's quite funny. Yeah, so it's it is about building a, a legitimate market. Um, so you know things are so insects are another one. Um, you know there there are some really far out things, but there's some there's some other things that are under our nose that we just haven't explored. So there's a lot in um, bush foods. Um, there's a lot of uh, kakadu plums, the one most people know, but um, carobs, and there's a whole heap of other um, red claw. Uh, um, yabbies and things like that that you know most of them it's interesting though there's a lot that focus on that export market so looking at what demand is from overseas and thinking well can we grow that in Australia so um, that's a bit of a generalization mm. one thing that we do do so that's in the in new industry space one thing that my program um, has uh, so through national rural issues is we do a lot of horizon scanning and again the uniqueness of our organization compared to some uh, RDCs um, can give us that slightly longer lens, um, so that sort of 20-year uh, horizon, which you know can be difficult um, when you know industry is stuck in the mindset of I'm dealing with issues today. Um, so we've got that uh, benefit, I guess, of, of being able to have that sort of foresighting, quite far out view of the world. One of our projects that we did with Queensland University of Technology is actually to data mine um, through patents and other things and look for opportunities um, outside. The sector, um, but also overseas. So for technologies that do have relevance to agriculture um, that we haven't explored yet. So um, Lauran, I never know if I say that right. Lauran was one that was identified a while ago, but there's things like solar retransmission um, they've come up with where you can actually grab sunlight from the other side of the hemisphere and redirect it back down so you can grow things 24 hours a day. That's one that could maybe come to agriculture. Um, Personal analytics, um, you know, really seeing that mainstream, so really understanding our workforce and where our risk factors are. So at any point in time, they can spot tiredness and whatever. Um, so that's something that, you know, could be useful in shearing sheds, for instance, or people that are quite manual manual work to support issues before they happen um you know so there is um and i would encourage anyone that wants to have a look at that because it's really interesting um to jump on our website and look up the horizon scans um and just to see we've, i think we've got where the sixth in the series and i think it just went online um a couple of days ago the last in that uh, that most current series um so there's probably about 30 to 40 technologies that are profiled and um some are if you're talking about camel milk and looking far out and a bit random um that's your place to go because there is some really interesting and and out there technologies that may have some application to agriculture um but also some like i said the digital um twin stuff um the virtual reality ar vr for for agriculture it's actually not as far out as we think and we're doing some work in that space as r&d corps as well so um yeah jump on our on our website and definitely have a look um there's some quite interesting stuff to look at that's awesome. I love the um, like science fiction element of it, but also the um, like that's where the future is going for sure. And so getting ahead of it and uh, starting to think about, you know, what could it mean for me? That's where the kind of magic comes in. And I know you guys are doing a lot of that work. So that's really great. Um, and it was a perfect segue into what I want to end with, which is um, giving you a chance to shamelessly plug where people can find more information. So should they go to um, <laughs> they go to like what website are you on Twitter? Like how can they um, learn more about the things you've talked about and um, your journey as well 
Yeah, no worries. So the best option, obviously, is probably hit the AgriFutures website, so agrifutures.com.au um, is probably the best place. Um, in terms of me, I feel like this has been the whole thing has been a job interview, so apologies for that. Um, on LinkedIn as Jennifer Medway and um, Twitter, Jen underscore Medway. So um, really happy to connect with anyone that has any interest in anything I've talked about. Um, and plus, as I said, that connector, you know, with the networks across the various range of um, RDCs, industry, government, whatever it might be. Um, if anyone wants to get in contact, please don't hesitate. I'm always uh, basically door open um, for those types of conversations. Um, look, I do think our processes are becoming a little bit more flexible in terms of how we can work. Just, I get so many opportunities and, and everything we absolutely would. Um, so there, we sort of do have some guidelines, I guess, in terms of how we can support new and emerging industries, new tech, whatever it might be, um, leadership, people. Uh, you know, we kind of cover a fair bit in AgriFutures. Um, but certainly the program I, um, I manage, or the arena, I guess, national challenges and opportunities. Um, yeah, I just jump online. Anyone that's kind of interested in anything I've said, um, have a look because there's some really interesting research that's out there um, and really happy to connect. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jen. And I imagine that lots of people will be checking out those links because it's some really fascinating stuff um, and really cool that you're across it and bringing both the ag and, and kind of tech and emerging research perspectives. So yeah, thanks again for joining me. No worries. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you for joining us on another episode of AgTech So What. You can stay up to date with the latest episodes and news at agtechsowhat.com. And as always, if you have any feedback or other guests to recommend, we'd love to hear from you. Just hop on the website and leave us a comment or send us a message. Finally, if you like what you're hearing, and we hope you do, please share the podcast with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next time.